Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The shark baby has such teeth there. And it shows them pearly white Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe And it keeps it uh, out of sight You know when that shark bites So welcome everybody to the latest Macklin's Take with myself, Andy Clark, and as always alongside me, Matt Macklin. We are down in the shadow of York Hall in Bethnal Green, which of course is prime boxing territory and whilst we're on the way over here uh, and this is actually true it'll sound like I've made it up but we were on a packed tube carriage and the person standing next to Matt tapped him on the shoulder and alerted him to the fact that he was listening to Macklin's take he was listening to Macklin's take with Mark Seltzer we're going up in the world it's unbelievable of all the tube carriages in all of London to to get on that one where the one person on TFL who was listening to the podcast was was standing next to us and today we are, we're going to turn the clock back a bit to one of my favourite eras of boxing. I'm 41, so when I was really getting into boxing in my teens and in my 20s, it was the 90s and it was Britpop and everything was great, everything was great when you're young. But in boxing in particular, there were two, there were two destinations, two locations where in Britain, the boxing universe, for me, seemed to revolve around those two places. There were Manchester, of course you think of Ricky Hatton, you think of Michael Gomez, you think of Michael Brody, Jamie Moore, Anthony, Anthony Farnell, all of those guys. And the other one was Sheffield. And when you think of Sheffield, you thought of Winko Bank, you thought of the Ingle Gym, you thought of Nassim Hamed, you thought of Johnny Nelson, you thought of other fighters, and you thought of the man who's sitting with us today, Mr. Ryan Rhodes. And Ryan, as I say, it was... It was a kind. They were halcyon days, those in those two cities, and we'll do one of these along Manchester lines at some point, definitely, because I think there's some some fantastic stories to come out of there. But when you look back on it, and you look back on on your involvement in it, it must. I don't know. How does it make you feel? Uh, it gives, just gives me great pleasure to 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 think that I was a part of that era. You know, the mid 
mid to late nineties, boxing was, you know, it was it was a, such a high. Um, like you say, you've got you had Nas, you had Lennox Lewis at the time, uh, Johnny Nelson, uh, Chris Eubanks, Nigel Benn, Steve Collins. That era of boxing, and I was lucky enough to to grow up and lucky enough to be on some of them undercards. Um, to be a part of that era, the nineties, the mid nineties, the late nineties was was a great, a great uh, era of boxing, and you know, and, and where we are now, it's it's just improved, improved. I think. And when you look back on it, you think about that that gym, the St Thomas Gym in, in Winco Bank, under Brendan Ingle, and it became it became a kind of a kind of torchbearer in so many different ways but all of a sudden there was this big spotlight on this small unassuming patch of land on this small unassuming man as well and and the eyes of the sporting world in a lot of ways certainly in boxing but it, but it was bigger than boxing boxing kind of broke out from boxing at that point yeah yeah the spotlight on you all of a sudden all of the lads who trained in that gym was big it was massive and um I I always go back to success breeds success, and that's that's what happened in that gym. You got one champion. A few weeks later, you got another champion. A month later, you got another champion, and and it was just a roller coaster of 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 the Ingle Gym turning out champions from all different weights. Um, you had British champions, Commonwealth champions, European champions, world champions, and it was all done basically down to. To Brendan, the motivation and the the, the wise old world words um, from the Irishman. Um, it, it was just an unbelievable gym, and and everybody supported everybody, no matter where anybody fought. Whether Naz fought in America, uh, we all travelled. Whether Johnny Nelson fought in Denmark, we all travelled. It was just the gym was just a, a family, and everybody supported everybody, no matter where. Uh, what level uh, and, and that was the thing no matter whether he was a central area champion Naz turned up I turned up Johnny Nelson turned up to support that central area champion you know we had kids having their first pro fights we all turned up to support that kid and that's what the gym was it was a family gym it was everybody stuck together everybody followed each other everybody supported each other I, I had my first amateur fight in 1994 and uh, so I, I remember that era very, very clearly, it was, uh, and I don't know if I romanticise about the past, but it just seemed like a such a special time. Obviously, Naz was a superstar, and yeah. I remember you coming through, winning. I think you were the youngest ever to win a Lonsdale belt in the quickest outright, in the quickest, quickest time outright, as well. Yeah. And I remember it was obviously a unique style. It certainly was away from the textbook stand-up, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. British yeah. style boxing. You switch hitting, jumping, going off angles side to yeah, side, yeah. and it was like you know you had Naz, and then all of a sudden, Ryan Rhodes was the, the next one, and he was young and. Uh, I mean, there was two two good amateur boxers that box from my club that had turned professional. They were actually managed by Brendan, Mark, and Paul Ramsey. Oh, right from yeah, yeah, yeah. from Birmingham, the brothers. Yeah, so brilliant fighters, great fighters. They top, were great amateurs as well. Amateurs. Were great amateurs, just never as a professional. No, they never, never excelled or never got no, to where you thought they should be. They should have done a lot better. Should have done a lot better. They stayed in the amateur gyms, really. I think yeah. when they went. When they signed with Brendan, they should have moved up to Sheffield, yeah, I think. Yeah. But the signed, but then stayed in Birmingham in yeah, the Amazon yeah. gym. Didn't really, yeah, yeah. you know. But it's Two true. Two good lads. Two su- good lads, yeah. Su- like you say, the success breeding success. Not only did you 
bring fighters through from the amateurs and everyone would follow it. A lot of fighters then from even London and different parts of the yeah, UK yeah. Are, are go Traveled. to Sheffield, wouldn't they? The, honestly, we had guys from as far as Scotland, as far down as, as London, travelling to the gym. Even not just, just to come and spar, just to come and see what what the big thing was about the Ingle gym. And it was, we had, we had people from the army coming to the gym and, and train with us and it was just, I don't know, the gym just attracted because it was doing so well. People wanted to see what the Ingle gym was all about and from every every sport, you know, we even, I remember even one time I walked into the gym and the drummer out of Def Leppard were in there training. Nazar, um, Nazar get him his boxing boots. Nazar get him his boxing boots. And not not forgetting, the drummer was had one hand, one one arm. The drum, the de, uh, the drummer out of Def Leppard. He was in the ring shadow boxing in Nazar's boots because Nazar borrowed him his boots. He's in the ring shadow boxing. So the people, these kind of people, the gym, the Ingle gym, it attracted superstars of not just sport but in and around. You know, Oasis were big fans of Nazar. Yeah, Lee, Nolan Liam. I remember I was talking. This were this was funny. This I was talking about this the other day. My friend Steffi Bull um, is a massive, massive um, Oasis fan, um, and Naz boxed Tom Bum Bum Johnson. Um, and everybody knows how many people Naz took in the ring. And at one time there was just no no room in the ring, so I jumped out of the ring waiting for Naz to. Uh, for the bell to go for the first round, I turned round, and Noel, Noel Gallagher grabbed me, sat me on his knee, and, and put me on his knee so I could watch the fight. Next minute, he whispered, "He went, your shorts are crap. I hate them. I watched the last week fighting and them skirts. I used to wear a skirt kind of shorts, and Noel Gallagher's saying my, sh- my shorts were crap. I'm thinking, I can't believe this is happening. But that's what kind of people." Um, he transcended boxing, didn't he, Naz? He was huge, yeah. Massively. I mean, another story. I just We were in New York. Naz were fighting Kevin Keller. Uh, and it was... I boxed Otis Grant the week before. Obviously, I lost my world title fight. I flew straight out to New York. Went and met Naz in the gym. And we were in the gym while Naz were training. Next minute, these cars pulled up. These big, about four or five Escalade cars pulled up. The biggest guys jumped out of the car and walked into the gym next minute, who walked in behind? Michael Jackson. Just walked in, just watched, sat down on a chair and watching Naz train. And like I said, they, just, these are the kind of people What he just took boxing to an, another level. Yeah, you did have Lennox Lewis and you did have yeah, Nigel Benn and your Chris Eubanks, but Naz was something, something different. different something different where people were just amazed by him, no matter what level of... You know what they did in life, whether it was a, a singer, pop star, athlete, an actor, he attracted them kind of people, the superstars. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. 
Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! And it was the same in Manchester with, with, with Ricky Hatton. They're very different kinds of characters, but again, people were just drawn to it. The, the magnetism of boxing is amazing, isn't it? We, we've talked about this a few times, and you go back to 1971 and the fight of the century between Ali and Frazier, and everybody wanted to be there. Frank Sinatra skulks in on the press ticket, taking photographs for Life magazine. Burt Lancaster somehow got a gig doing the colour commentary, and it's not like other sports. People from all walks of life are just... They gravitate towards it. I mean, what was that like? I mean, you must have... You took up boxing however old and you wanted to win titles and be a champion. Of course you did. But you could never have imagined that you would end up in a place uh, where people like that were, were, were queuing up to get in the yeah, door. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, when I first started boxing, I was, I was six years old and in the gym we had, we had Errol Graham, uh, who was British champion. Bomber Graham, who was British champion. We had um, Brian Anderson, who was British champion. We had uh, uh, Slugger O'Toole, who was British champion, Fidel from Nottingham. And then Johnny Nelson were just on the verge of fighting for a, a British title and fighting for them world titles. And all I wanted to do, when I used to go to the gym and there were cameras in there, photographers and, and um, TV uh, filming, filming the training, all I wanted to do were, 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 were have that belt, have a British title belt, win a British title belt. I never in my wildest dreams would have thought of the people of meeting the people who I met through through boxing you know I would have if you, someone would have told me you know you'd be you'll be rubbing shoulders with someone like with like Michael Jackson you'll be rubbing shoulders with um, famous actors and things like I would have thought are you mad are you, I, this only happens on TV you only see them kind of people on TV um, but boxing did Boxing does attract the superstar. There's something about boxing. If you catch the public imagination, you, you, you're on to a winner. So how, how was the city itself at, at that point? Because you go from being, you know, probably I'd imagine the progression would have been pretty well known within Sheffield boxing to pretty well known within UK boxing to then all of a sudden not just being boxing well known in Sheffield but being kind of like Sheffield famous. How easy is it to deal with that kind of thing when you're a young man? I think it just flows. I don't think you think, how do I handle this? Or I think you just, it, it, it's every day, so it's not as if it was like something, it's hard to explain really. It's like, it was happening day in, day out in the gym. There was photographers in the gym. There was cameras in the gym. There was, um, there was people coming in for autographs in the gym and, for pictures in the gym so it was something what just happened and you never thought just became the norm it just became the norm yeah it just became the norm it, me and Naz had walked through Meadowall and mo, Naz more a lot more than me would just get stopped so Naz would then have or just security then and see all this so the security of Meadowall and then be, be behind me and Naz obviously more behind Naz just walking him into different shops and because he'd just get mobbed wherever he were. And I don't think, maybe he did, but he didn't. But I don't think really Naz realised how famous and how popular he were. Even Naz still don't think he did. You know, the um, you won the British title in record time, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, and I remember you were on 
the telly all the time and, yeah. and you were flying through and you were stopping everyone and everyone was raving about you and then I remember the, the fight with Otis Grant Otis Grant yeah. how old were you then 21 20, 20, 21 20, 21 yeah. and I remember I think God, that's young and yeah I mean I've heard different stories since then of how it was initially offered to Robert McCracken and yeah. to go with Frank Warren yeah. and that was the yeah. fight offered but he yeah. done a deal with America Presents that's right and then they offered it to you do you think it was a, do you think it was a bit too soon for you looking back in hindsight do you know what everybody says that you got pushed too quick just because because Naz was doing what he was doing you got pushed too quick I don't think I did I would have fought absolutely anybody and anybody as soon as I turned pro, that was just my mentality. That was just what me, me thought of pro, me, me, uh, thought of process. I just, I wanted to fight anybody. I remember being 18 years old and uh, Brent, I walked into the gym, he went, uh, don't put your gear on, don't get changed, you're sparring. I went, all right, no worries. He went, oh, he, I went, oh, we? He went, uh, Emery Wharton. I was 18 years old. I'd just been watching Emery Wharton on TV with, with Nigel Benn and giving everybody everybody a tough fight he went but the problem is you've got to go on your own because I've got a few things to do in the gym I went alright give me the address I'm driving up the M1 towards Leeds thinking oh my god I'm going to spar Henry Wharton I'm 18 years old I think I had three or four professional fights but I was more excited because I thought I'm going to learn so much sparring with someone like an Henry Wharton and nerves became excitement I remember getting to his gym in Leeds. It was at the back of a pub. That's where his gym were, at the back of a pub in Leeds. And we did, I think we did six or eight rounds. I can't remember. But what an experience. But from that, not from that day, but that was just my mentality. Going to spa, a kid who'd fought for a couple of world titles. British, I think he won European, Commonwealth champion. Um, and that was the kind of people I were sparring we rubbing head rubbing shoulders we and that's just how it were there's nothing like boxing for keeping your grounded is there you know one day there might have been a slight disparity in time here but one day you're, you're watching Michael Jackson trying to get into the gym the next day you're out the back of a pub sparring Henry Watson I mean it's just yeah. you know you can't get two more yeah. different experiences different, than yeah, that yeah exactly and I guess you're just riding the wave from that from that Lingle gym too when, when Matt was saying or asking whether that world title fight was maybe a bit too soon it wouldn't even have entered your head given what was going on there and the success that you were having that you would turn around and say no I don't think I'm I don't think I'm ready I yeah, mean, if you had done that what, what do you think the reaction from from the gym would have been it's hard to say it's hard to say I mean it just wouldn't have happened it just definitely wouldn't have happened the one thing I remember that fight though I would knock it the previous fights I think I'd stopped the last four or five opponents before that and that were the only fight I've ever thought to myself I'm going 12 rounds here the previous ones I'd, I'd stopped and I thought I'll knock him out I'll knock him out but I just had it in my head I'm going to go 12 rounds here I know he's, I, he's, he's good he's strong he's experienced he's ju he just he just uh, had a draw we, uh, for a world title against Lonnie Bradley Um so I knew I were in for a tough fight. But I thought to myself, I'm going 12 rounds here. I think it was my 17th or 18th fight. Um, but it was all down to experience why I lost that fight. Because I know I were doing 12 rounds. The first six rounds, I didn't do that much. And it got to... It got to... Not, not sorry, I didn't do that much. 
I could have done more. And it got to round eight, round nine, and I'm thinking, I've still got loads left here. And then I just went for it, and I didn't stop. And I lost a, a two-points decision. One, one, one round on one and two rounds on the other. And it was all down to inexperience of me and me thinking, I've got to, I'm going 12 rounds here. I've got to hold a little bit in the tank, and then later on in the fight, I'll go for it. I should have just gone from it from round one because I was fit enough, young enough, hungry enough to have put it on him from round one to round 12 and it was it was down to experience and people say you haven't got the experience to fight someone like a, an Otis Grant or you, or you pushed a little bit too much I'm here to tell the story and I'm, I've, I've had a great great career and a great story and I wouldn't honestly I wouldn't change a thing I wouldn't change a thing I had a I, I did a lot more than what what I wanted to do in boxing or what I expected to do in boxing I travelled the world, I met some great people, I boxed for four world titles, I'd never won a world title, I won everything else apart from a world title, but I had a great career. And when you look at that, that Winker Bank gym, that St Thomas's gym, the success, as you say, was, was unbelievable. And from the outside looking in, it always seems almost inevitable, in any kind of story, not just a sporting one, where you have someone who, who flies that high, that at some point they're going to fly too close to the sun yeah, yeah. and the inevitable happens. I mean, did you kind of... Were you too wrapped up in the moment and in your own thing? Because, OK, he's your gym mate, Nassim, and he's doing well, but you're thinking about yourself. Did, did you kind of foresee problems down the line? I don't know. I, I mean, everything's going so well. You never really think about what if this happens or what if that happens. You, you just so... I don't know. It's like you're in a little bit of a bubble kind of thing and... Nothing can really burst that bubble until something... Even though I lost the fight with, with, with Otis Grant, I felt I'd come out with credit because I just took a, 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 a good world champion 12 rounds, gave him a great fight. Um, so, yeah, they did, the bubble did burst on that fight, but I still came out of the fight with credit. It weren't until when I boxed my fight after, Jason Matthews, well, not my fight after, a couple of fights after, and I should have been fighting a German called Bert Schenk for the world title. We'd done the deal. We'd done the deal. Uh, we got Bert Schenk coming over to the UK five days before. Five days before he pulled out of the fight, and they got Jason Matthews in. Now I just knocked someone out who'd stop Jason Matthews. But Bert Schenk was a boxer, boxed on out foot, didn't get involved. Jason Matthews was probably what is the one of the biggest punching fighters I've been in without a doubt without a doubt but because I beat that guy who had stopped Jason Matthews in my head I was thinking I only have to go in there I'll land a couple of big shots and I'll knock him out completely the wrong fight completely the wrong tactics down to experience again maybe Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Well, I can't remember. I, I remember that. I mean, I remember the fight. I remember reading about it in the boxing news, and that was a shock, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And um, 
you kind of went off the boil a bit then, didn't yeah. you, for a while? And then you, I mean, you, you, you'll be able to, feel, I can't remember all the dates, but I remember, that, I, remember, I remember going off the boil and not hearing about you for a while, and then obviously you came back then and had a, a really good, strong... Yeah. Later career when you fought Jamie and yeah, you yeah. won the British title, yeah. and European, and, and obviously Canelo. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what was the in between period? So like, a lot of fights were falling through. Uh, I, I, from from me being 24, 25 years old, I had a very, very, I had back problems. My my father, my uncles, all suffer with back problems. Whether it's got anything to do with with passing that down, I'm not sure. But about three or four fights falling through I then probably pulled out about three or four fights with with back injuries so for about four years five years I was fighting but not fighting the fights I wanted to fight and then I came, I became I came I think I was 27 years old and I thought I need to try something different here and I sat down and um, me, and me, me and my wife me and my wife talked about it and I said, you know what, it's, I need to leave the gym. I need to leave Brendan gym. I've been down there 22 years. I mean, you can imagine doing the same job. Or, a bit stale. I went a bit stale. I, went, I, I fell out of love with boxing a little bit. And then, obviously, Dave Caldwell, who I, who I, who I ended up joining, um, was with the Ingle gym for many, many years. Um, so David got his own gym at the other side of Sheffield from the gym. So I sat down with John and Dominic and said, look, it's, I need to try something different. Nothing against you guys. I think it's more me than, than anything else. I think I've, I fell out of love with it. Like, like, like you say, I've, I think I've gone a bit stale. Um, and honestly, when I left the Ingle gym and joined Dave and different training, different conversation, different people around me all the time, the buzz came back. The buzz were, honestly, I just fell in love with boxing again. I, I love going training um, because it was completely different training to what I've been doing for 22 years. Um, and I just started enjoying the game again. And, and boxing, it's not one of the, it's probably the hardest sport there is. And if you're not enjoying it, it can be a horrible, painful night. So when I was enjoying boxing again, you, you, you were seeing it in my performances. I had five, four fights. I had four fights. Then I boxed Gary Lockett for, for the world, WBU world title at Cardiff on the, on the pitch at Millennium Stadium. And I lost on a close decision. Um, but that were up at middleweight. But after that fight, I went to my hotel room, jumped on scales, and I were, I were, I were 10 stone 13 after that fight. I'd, do, I'd done the weight so easy. And I said to Dave and I said to Mark Willie, who was my conditioner, who was my conditioner, I went, I'm not a middleweight, I'm a light middleweight. If I put the work in and, 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 and carry on training like I've been doing and, and fight regular, I'll, I'll do light middleweight easier. So I went back down to light middleweight, I had a couple of fights at light middleweight, knocked them out, then I boxed Gary Wilcom. I remember that your call. Yeah, yeah. yeah, your call, he was British champion. I came down, I knocked Gary out, I think in seven rounds I knocked him out. Then I won Vincent Vuma for the WBC International, um, which put me in the top 10 in the WBC rankings. Then I had another defence, and then uh, I boxed Jamie Moore. I boxed Jamie Moore for, for the European title. And we all know Jamie, were, he was were knocking everybody out at the time. He was were, he were flying at the time. 
I, th- I, o- I also think Jamie should have fought for a world title before before we even fought. It was just unlucky that you timing. know we had to yeah timing timing. Uh, we fought. I mean, uh, Matt will know exactly what kind of fight Jamie is. Just something you're all, you, you you're in an exciting fight whether you're fighting Jamie or you know. And we we fought where you know I beat Jamie for the European title fight at year. Um, and then I got the Canelo fight um, I worked my way all the way up the rankings winning the Europe- winning the British winning the European putting me in the top 10 winning the WBC ch- international title and then I became number 2 in the WBC rankings Chavez Jr. was number 1 but Chavez Jr. couldn't make the weight so he moved up to, to middleweight I then became number 1 mandatory to fight, to fight Canelo in Mexico did you think that he'd go on to be as good as he is? Yeah. Because he was a massive star at the no, time and he was being definitely. he was being steered and looked after yeah. and he had everything going going for him and everything yeah. behind him. You you knew he was going to be something special but when I went after the fight and me and Dave were talking, you know, about the fight and I said, "Dave, no, I you know, I was, I was 36, 35 no, 34 when I fought Canelo. So I was coming to, to the later stages of my career at 34 years old, even though I was still, you know, doing well and fighting well. And I was still coming to the later stages, 34. But after the fight, me and Dave said, look, in the next four or five years, that kid's going to be a superstar. He will be something special, something special. You could see it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fighter where I can change my style, I can box, I can fight, or I can move, I can get out of the way, I can make you miss. He had an answer for everything. I tried, diff, I tried this tactic. And at tactics, a young age. And at a, tw- it was at 22 a, at years a young old. Age, yeah. 22, 23 years old. He had an answer for everything I tried. He's not the biggest puncher. I don't think he's the biggest puncher. Listen, Speed. he were only 20. Timing, Speed. accuracy. He, never, he doesn't waste a thing. If he's throwing, he's landing. It doesn't waste anything. Um, Experience beyond his years. Way beyond his years. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Listen, we know he turned pro at 15, 15, I think, years old. And you can do that when you're, when you're in Mexico. And, you know, he's probably had a few more fights than what we, what we, what we know about. But, listen, you knew the kid was going to be something special. And what are we, eight years on, seven, eight years on, and look where he is, pound for pound, Number one, I think, or should be number one, or top right three, up there, definitely. isn't he? Right up there. Top three, he's the number definitely. one superstar in boxing. Yeah, yeah, he's the highest paid boxer, apart from Mayweather, than what I can think yeah, of. Or yeah. well, he's got the biggest contract in sports history, hasn't yeah. he? You know, once he fulfills it. Yeah, yeah. So, in terms of people he could face, because this is. Uh, this is a kind of timeless topic. He's not going anywhere any any time soon. He's got that fight coming up against Sergey Kovalev, which is a really good fight. But the the only criticism I would have, and it's not necessarily really of him, but but his team. I think they're just taking him to another weight. He, I think they're just good getting him another world title, uh, another weight. What is it? Well, that'll be light middle middleweight, so yeah. before weight, four it's weight ten, world it's, champion. It's the ten week turnaround that they've kind of forced Kovalev into after his fight against Anthony Yard. It just doesn't yeah. really sit that well with me. I don't to, think they. To need be honest, to I think the fight guys. was made before even the Yard fight because they were talking about that, but they'd, they'd already signed yeah. for the 
They were. The they yard. were. They were to- they, they'd already done the deal. Yeah. He just had to beat Anthony Yard. I, I, I think, you know, the, I mean, I thought Golovkin won the first fight, which I think pre- pretty much everyone does. Second fight, it could have gone either way. I thought Golovkin nicked it by a round, but, but maybe Canelo did. It was that kind of close fight. Yeah, but yeah. I think... They're, let, they're dragging out another year before they go over yeah, again. You they've know, got to. Just, they don't get a bit older. Yeah. Which, it's a little bit of an abuse of his power, yeah, you know. Yeah. Which, you know, he, he's, he's the cash cow, so he, he dictates. But it's, you know, from a, just a pure sport, forget business and money generating and all the rest of it. Just a sports fan, a boxing fan. Uh, just fight him again. You know, yeah. just do the trilogy, man. Everyone Why wants not? to see the fight. Everybody wants to see it. You know, and um, like... Like Matt's just said, you know, they were the two fights. The first one, yeah, you would have probably favoured uh, Triple G. The second one, do a third and make make it make it the end of it. They were going to do it anyway. They're just dragging it out a little bit. But the Kovalev fight with Canelo, for me, Canelo knocks him out. I think I think he knocks him out middle to late rounds. Me too. Body shot. I really do. I really. He's too slow. Kov- not that he's too and slow. He's shot, I think, isn't he? He don't yeah. wait no more. I think, I think the fact that I think he's taking this fight as a cash out. Yeah, it's the money. It's the money. And people will say, what? Knock like heavyweight as a Kovalev. Yeah, he will. He will. Speed. Okay, so kind of on the same subject or on talking about a fighter who Kovalev fought recently. I wasn't really planning to, to get onto this, but we kind of just see where these things go. And... He fought Anthony Yard last time out, of course. Now, Anthony Yard is uh, a very dedicated, very personable young man. Uh, he performed well against Sergei Kovalev. Most of the talk before that fight and in the aftermath of that fight, which was a shame because it took some of the shine away from what he did in the ring, was about his trainer and was about the way that he is trained. Now, I know what you think about this. You've been doing this a really long time as well, and you learned your craft under, under one of the best in, yeah. in, in Brendan Ingle. And I'm not here just to try and dig out Tundia J, but it's only right that things are analysed rationally and, and, and correctly. In your experience, looking at the way that he has been trained, Anthony Yard, can that work? It's, I'll be honest, I think it's difficult working. One of the reasons I ask you is because I know that in the Ingle gym, yeah. you don't do head sparring. Yeah. And that in itself is unusual. One of the big criticisms of Tunde has been that they don't do hard sparring. But you, would have, you would have done some head sparring, wouldn't you? Yeah, so, so I, know, I know we say we never did head sparring, but what we had in the gym was 14, 15, 16-year-old kids hitting us to the face. So it wasn't open sparring as in as much open sparring as for, sparring someone your your way your ability but we had fully strong teenagers hitting us to face and some of them teenagers hit like fully grown adults so you didn't want to get hit by them teenagers you didn't want to get hit by them kids so we learn our movement and our reflexes and getting out of the way and and not getting hit by sparring with them kids i mean we used to go to we used to go to working men's clubs and we went into prisons and we used to let the guys at the working men's club get out, get out, get out, get the gloves on. Hitters, fully, and this were fully grown men, I'm not talking kids now, I'm talking being in a working men's club and, and letting someone out of the audience put his gloves on who's had a couple of pints, <laughs> basically. And Brennan had said, if you knock him out, I'll give you 20 quid. Now, in a, in a working men's club, 
beer's cheap, 20 quid will get you a good afternoon. Yeah? So they went for it. So we did our best not to get hit. We had to grab, hold, roll, slip, get out of the way and not get hit. And this was a weekly thing. We were, even sometimes it happened twice a week. We, had, we did it on Saturdays and Sundays. But the Sunday thing, I don't believe, because they said they never did no open sparring for, for this fight. Is that right? They never did? That's what they said, yeah. I don't believe that. I think that's a bit of a... a bit of smoke and mirrors. A bit, yeah. Tunde is a, is a character. He is a, little, he is a little bit different. He is unorthodox. He's about what he does. But I always think, as a good trainer, a good trainer, don't just bring one kid up to become a champion. Don't bring two up, three. It brings multiple kids up from, from a young age to national amateur champions, maybe even boxing for, for, for the UK, then be turning professional, becoming a central area champion, British champion, European. That's what a good trainer does. You don't just blow smoke up your own backside just by training one good fire. I always say this to you, don't I? I said, any, anyone can inherit an Olympian and do well with him. He's a, you know, if you, like, if when did Tundi... T- when did, do you know what I mean? If you when get did he Olympia, turn with him? And but he had very little amateur background, Anthony Yards, and, and Tunde's trained him yeah. right from the start I mean, as a pro. So everything that he is as a professional now, you have to say, is down to his trainer. Curtis, Woodhouse, Curtis Woodhouse is a professional footballer, turned boxer and become British champion. It can happen. Yeah. Yes, you do need guidance and you do need help and you do need a bit of a strategy and you do need a game plan but not just one fighter you've got to do it in multiple fighters that's a good train yo i'm dk co-host of the one star recruits podcast my best friend rip and i host five star athletes celebs business leaders comedians and coaches from around the world each week i can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs catch up on life's in relatable ways and have a ton of fun we're recruiting you we are the one stars which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like joey chestnut evander holyfield bobby hurley jenny finch ryan lochte montel jordan new guests every week compelling interviews that you want to hear check us out wherever you get podcasts one star recruits no. So, couldn't agree more and I always say this you, you know someone if you're if you get someone out of the Olympics and he goes on and becomes world champion you he's probably supposed it. to do that you expect do you know it I mean? but when you've trained a kid from 10 years old that comes in the junior doesn't know what a jab or an uppercut is and you take him through to national amateur champion then go on to become a world champion and you do it multiple times like Brendan Ingle yeah, did yeah, yeah. that's yeah. when that, that's a listen a who would have ever thought breed of a trainer <laughs> I mean he's a good friend of mine and you know he's a good friend of us all who would have ever thought Johnny Nelson, I think he won two fights out of 15 amateur fights or one fight out of 15 amateur fights. He lost his first two or three professional fights. Who would have thought Johnny Nelson then would have, at the end of his career, would have had 13 defensives of his WBO World Cruiserweight title? That's what a good trainer does. A good trainer turns a bad fighter into a good fight, into an okay fighter, then progresses and keeps grafting away because Brendan had to graft with Johnny as well it's not just Johnny Brendan had to graft with Johnny as well and then all of a sudden British European Johnny had to travel the world because nobody really wanted to fight Johnny nobody really wanted to fight Johnny 
and he got the opportunity to fight Cole Thompson and then he went on to beat Cole Thompson and then have 13 defences of his cruiserweight. That's a good trip, what a good trainer does. He was a one-off. One, Brendan Ingle was a one-off. Yeah, one without off. a doubt, without a doubt. So to what extent, though, do you think that things can be kind of reassessed and training methods can be reappraised? In the case of Tunde, as you rightly point out, he doesn't have the longevity yet to prove that his system works. I'm not saying Tunde's a bad trainer. No, not no, no, at I'm, all. Not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not putting those words no, in your people, mouth. No, but people, I understand yeah, what you're yeah. He gets a lot of it gets shit, a lot of basically. Stick because he's a, a character and people don't get characters. People think, oh, look at him showing off. Oh, it's all about him. He's a character. He's a character. He's good for the sport. But the point, he, people tune in. People will be listening to this thinking, do you know what I mean? The point I was getting to, though, is, is that he's chosen to try a different method. And the Ingle Gym did that. You know, yeah. it's, 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 you would know better than me whether yeah. that style came from Harold Graham or whether it was a mixture of him and Brendan Ingle or yeah. how it happened exactly. But you did things differently, such as the training and the movement and all those other things. And in the early days, people probably laughed at that. Massively, massively. They all thought Brendan were mad. They all thought Brendan's ways and his and, and, and how he talked and and how he came across and he tell you his experiences. But people would have thought he's lying or he's he's going around bend or you know you're mad. It was his way. It was his way. Listen, in the next 10 years, Tundi might turn out another five, another 10 um, Anthony Yards. But it's early days for him. He's only a young train, youngest trainer. So it's early days for him. So his unusual tactics and his ways just might need a little bit of moulding. And, and over the years, all of a sudden, you'll see him turning more and more champions. At, but time will tell he's, he's, he's really come on the scene over the last couple of years I'd say we we, we Anthony Yard and people have jumped on the bandwagon and, and pointing finger he's, he's not he's not this and he's not that give him time let him let let, let him, Brendan for 60 years 55 years it took Brendan for the last 20 years 30 years to turn the champions out it didn't just happen overnight. Was that partly down to the crop of fighters who arrived at his door? Not not in terms of law being magnificently talented necessary, necessarily, but in terms of it just so happened that a group of young men came across, came along at the right time, who, who wanted to listen to him and who bought into it and did believe it because you said that other people would would think he was mad and that he was lying and he was he was talking nonsense. But whether you've got talent, a lot of, a lot, I don't know, whether you've got talent, you've still got to work at it. A fit, strong, determined kid will, will be a talented, not, not dedicated, not disciplined, thinks he knows it all. So that person, that one dedicated fighter will be, and, it's, and it happens, and it'll keep happening. So... Don't matter how much talent you've got, you've still got to work at it. You've still got to put that, them hours in. Look at Floyd Mayweather, he's a perfect example. The amount of talent he's got, and he still has to work in it. He's still now in that gym for hours and hours. You know, waking up in the middle of the night, going to the gym, going for, for a run on the road. No matter how much talent you've got in, 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 in anything you do, 
you've still got to work at it. It, st- it still doesn't just happen for you. But you need to trust your trainer. You Absolutely. need to trust that what he's Massively. saying is correct and that Massively. he's guiding you the right way. So what yeah. was it about Brendan Ingle that made you think? You trusted him. I, I, I buy into this, man. Yeah. I believe you, you, you trusted what he did. And, and, and when you see champions after champions, you know, when you're looking around that gym and, 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 and these fighters got belts around the waist and how could you not trust someone what's just the gym's just turning champions out? You put your trust in him and basically Brendan was like a second father to me. I was with Brendan more than I were with my own, my own parents. You know, if we weren't, if I weren't, if I weren't in the gym, we'd be, I'd be traveling up and down the motor with, with Brendan, with Johnny's son or with Dominic going to support one of the lads or another lad who were fighting so you you trusted Brendan you 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 got what he said and yeah he had perfect examples why he said what he said and he and he and he was very clever he knew something was going to happen before it even knew it He, he even happened so how long do you think how long was that span where everything was was absolutely flying in that place? Because all good things come to an end at at some point. I mean, could you put a time span on it? Listen, could, the could gym's you, still doing start? well. The gym's still doing well now. You know, but Kid Gallard, he was in a controversial loss in his last fight against Josh. I'm just Warrington. talking about your crop, though. Oh, sorry, the crop. I mean, I was I turned pro at 18, so. Naz was a few years older than me. Naz was three years older than me. You've got to be looking at 20 years of the gym was probably, and I'm not being big-headed when I say this, for 20 years the gym was probably the best gym in the UK, turning out more champions, 15, 20 years. Got to be. I don't, apart from, apart from gyms in London where there's multiple trainers using the same gym, what other gym has there been what's turned out more champions from Central Area, British, Commonwealth, European and World? I don't that, know if there is another gym. But the other thing is that makes it even more unique is to turn out their own lads. Yeah. From the amateurs. From the kids. From kids. That we haven't come... They haven't... There was a couple... Yeah. Like his old man, couple, didn't yeah. Bradley Price, Gavin yeah. Reese. He had a yeah. few... Um, but uh, but uh, I can't but, really uh, think of Brendan, it. you know, to, to, to have done it... With all the lads, the way his he way. did his yeah. lads in that gym, never, yeah. you know, weren't no past gym, was no, it? No, no, never changed. No, it. no, no, it's still you know, the same now. Still the same. I went in a few weeks ago. Showers are still in the same place. Still got mold on the walls, the lines, the same flooring, the same flooring. They've painted the circles a little bit. They spent a bit of money on this painting the circles, but other than that, everything's the exact same. The frames, the framework, where the bags are hung. They've even still got a couple of the bags in. What was there when I was there? And that's... It. I said earlier that, you know, the gym's still flying at the minute and, and they're still doing well and Dominic's a great trainer and, and John John's heavily involved in, in the gym and they'll still, no matter that Brendan's not there, they'll still get fighters, good quality fighters, water champions, water go to that gym and, and, and be based in that gym. Liam Williams came from, from Wales, flying. He's looking brilliant at the minute. Um, Gary Lockett did an unbelievable job. Great, great trainer, Gary Lockett. But I think maybe Liam just 
like I did, probably needed a bit of a change, felt a little bit stale. He's gone down to the injury. He's never looked as good. He's never looked as good. And what about yourself now? In, in, we're speaking before we started recording this yeah. about you're going to do 10 shows next year with So myself and Steffi Bull next year, we've teamed up together. Uh, we're going to do 10 professional boxing shows in and around Yorkshire. Uh, I think we're going to do three at Barnes and Metrodome, three at the Magna and four at Doncaster Dome. Um, Steffi's uh, managing, you know, between 15 and, and uh, sorry, between 20 and 30 fighters at least, maybe a few more. He's had a few signings this week. You know, I'm turning, I'm training a few fighters, managing quite a few fighters as well. So we've teamed up, we've, we've, we've done three shows this year and we've done, we've really smashed it this year. Uh, not our last show, but the show before, young Terry Harper uh, from, from, uh, from Doncaster, who Steffi manages and trains. You know, we, we, on, our, on our show, she become RBO world, uh, world champion. And, you know, the week after, she got a deal from Eddie Earn, and that's what it's about: giving our fighters opportunities, and you know, trying to trying to make give them that opportunity to to fight for titles, whether it's a central area, whether it's a, an English title, or, or or even a British title. That's what that's what our aim is next year: to to bring fighters through and help them succeed and help them to to strive on for titles. Well, we'll definitely get Steffi on this at some point. He's, he's on the list because yeah. him, him and Ray Doyle are great fun. And, and as you were saying, you've been putting on with him and, and Steffi for a good while. It's really, really strong shows. Shows headlined by, by title fights, as you say, British title fights, English title fights. And, and with Terry now being signed with Matchroom, it's, yeah. it's exciting times. And you, it is absolutely it's so important that, that promoters like that, and you think about Steve Wood in Manchester and, and Cole Greaves and... And all of them basically keep the will to do it yeah. and at least break even or don't yeah. don't lose well, that, money out of that's, it. That's that's the that is the plan, you know, to, to put put these ten shows on, not lose no money, try not to lose no money, but mainly give the fighters opportunities to fight in their own towns what I mean we've even said not even fighters what are managed by me. Uh, or Steffi but if they want to do a promotional deal they can come and fight on our shows if they don't think they're getting out often enough they can come and fight on our shows so we just we just want to get local fighters Yorkshire Yorkshire fighters opportunities to be more active to be uh, to be um, to be active to fight in front of their family and friends this game's Honestly, it's it's not one of I keep saying I keep banging on about it. It's it's the hardest sport there is. Um, it's a very lonely sport. You don't the money in, involved in boxing until you get to a certain level is very minimal. But it's the passion, it's the love of these fighters, and and they need rewarding, um, and they need to be fighting as as much as possible. So fighters in and around Yorkshire area, get ready because you could be busy next year. That's great though, isn't it, Matt? Because when you look at boxing now, you look at any sport, but everybody seems to be obsessed with with going global almost. From a really early stage, it's all about reach and all of these other things. But the, the way to succeed 
is to sell out your local arena. Yeah. If you could sell out your local arena, not many people can do that. If you can do that, then you're really starting to get somewhere. And you were part of something in Sheffield where the city would come out for you, all Definitely. of you. And that, that made it a great place to go for fights if you're neutral like me and an intimidating place to go if you're an opponent. I mean, everyone's journey is different and it depends where you're starting from. Ryan, you know, 18 years old, turned pro with Brendan Ingle. He had that conveyor belt. He'd done it with Nas. He was, you know, in good terms with Frank Warren. You know, he had good, obviously was a, a really good amateur as well. Won many national titles. So, you know, Frank, straight away, he was being backed. He was, the right doors were being opened for him and, and he just went through everyone and was pretty you know, British champion in record time. Um, you know, but there's some guys that won't have had that amateur pedigree. Maybe they weren't as outstanding early on. Maybe they're late bloomers, but they've still got to be kept active. They've still got to progress. Maybe they haven't got their man strength at 18, but they're boxing locally. They're selling tickets. They're getting their family and their friends. They're creating a bit of a buzz in the local paper. They're starting, they're starting down here, but as long as you're moving forward, as long as you're not staying still, staying static, as long as you're moving forward, even if it's at snail pace, yeah. just keep moving forward. Absolutely. Everyone's journey is different. Some get there really quick. Some takes a bit longer. But if you didn't have people putting it in at that level, where would we be? Yeah. It'd dry up, wouldn't it? Then these guys that are late bloomers coming in would, would never get there. But if it weren't for the likes of Steffi Ball and Ryan and you know your John Pegs yeah. and all these people that put in on the small hall shows. And it's a, let me tell you, it's a tough struggle. Yeah financially because all you need is someone a ticket seller to pull out the last minute and you know you, you, you're on small margins do you like know what I mean yeah. where you look you're, you, you, they know they're not going to make fortunes but they're hoping they don't lose a couple of grand because then they've busted their ass for the last two months to lose a couple of grand couple of yeah. that ain't much fun let me tell you but you know but they keep going they keep going they keep going and I think at the end of the year they look back and think yeah well we made him a few quid and we, he got to 10-0 and, and he got a Midlands area title or he got a shot it's, a, it's just keeping the sweat about moving, isn't yeah, absolutely. it? Absolutely, absolutely. It's just giving the kids the opportunities. What you know, what have worked their absolute socks off from being the amateurs, and and watching watching the pros on the TV, thinking one day, one day, we could be on that TV. You know, and and you never know. You never know. It's like, you know, I've got my young lad who's fighting tomorrow night, Razak Najib. We got a phone call from from Lee in a couple about three weeks ago asking. You know, would he be would he be up for a to be a reserve um, on this golden contract show? I said I spoke to Razak. He said, "Yeah, definitely." Um, and we were fighting a guy called Jack Jack Ball. Is it Jack Jack Ball? Jacob Robinson. Jake. No, no, no. At the first, we were fighting Nick Ball. Nick Ball. Sorry, we were fighting Nick Ball. And Razak boxed two weeks ago in, in, in at Magna, uh, just a steady fight, and he ended up fighting, fighting and winning boxing well, boxing really well. Nick boxed uh, in his local town and banged his hand up. So Lee sent me a message and said, "Look, we've, we need to look for um, another opponent." Jack's hurt his hand; he's out. It looks like he might have broke it. So uh, we've got uh, Jacob Robinson. Um, as a standard, but, but Razak got said because he was the first one, he would be the first reserve. We're on his way to the weigh-in today, and this is what I said to us: all my fighters, be ready because you never know when that phone call, could, you know, could happen. We're on his way. We're an hour away. Miss said, Miss said, an hour. I got a phone call from Lee, and I thought, an hour away from from waiting. What's happening here? He went, listen, look, you might be in as the main fight. The Mexicans struggling to make weight. He says, 
but can your lad do the featherweight limit? I said, Lee, it's not a problem. I said, he's about half a pound under anyway. I've just weighed him on my scales back home. He said, just keep it to yourself, but you might be in. He put the phone down within five minutes, less than five minutes. The phone went again, and I nudged him straight away. I went, you're in. He can't do weight. Lee, you're right. You're in, boys. And that's what happened. These opportunities don't come every, every, every often. But fighters nowadays... Some are ready, but majority of them aren't. And once they've had that fight, they'll disappear for two, three, four weeks at a time. They'll come back, they're a stone and a half, two stone ever. Razak is a perfect example of what, what fighters... I have to kick him out of the gym. He just... He loves training, he loves fighting, he loves being fit. And that's what these fighters need to be because sooner or later... Sooner or later, Eddie Hearn's matchmakers, Frank Warren's matchmakers... Uh, MTK's matchmakers will pick up that phone to see if your fighter's ready and you've got to say yeah they're ready they're ready to go and that's what that's what happened to us I say this a lot I say you know <laughs> Pat Maxwell you know Pat yeah, Maxwell yeah, of course. we spoke about him earlier yeah. he was and I'll just use him as an example because he's quite a strong example yeah. he was around the likes of Ricky Hatton he was in that gym with Billy Graham he, he was yeah, yeah, yeah. at Brendan's for a while yeah. but he was in the gym so of course Ricky Hatton used to balloon up in way and Ricky was the TV golden boy and he was a massive ticket seller he was Frank Warren's golden boy he was always going to get 8, 10 weeks 12 weeks whatever whatever notice he needed he was going to get and because the show was being built around him, around him yeah. Pat you, you hit like a mule you got a good chin you don't sell a ticket you ain't got a promotional deal you're not going to get yeah. 10 weeks yeah. notice you need to be ready to go at the drop, a phone yeah, call, yeah, but absolutely. you know, and then what happened? He'd blow up in Wayne, he wouldn't get shot, and then he ends up getting frustrated with the boxing because he's not getting the breaks. But, but that, that's what happens, and you know, and I, even myself, you know, I had a good amateur pedigree. I was, I, you know, I was signed to Frank Warren, I was always kind of yeah. getting pushed by the, the promoter, really. But I look back on my career and I think about the amount of time I wasted in between fights, yeah, yeah, yeah. drinking yeah. Yeah, and yeah, not yeah. training, blowing no, exactly. up in weight, where. Really, you know, ticket, it's your job. Yeah, you, you should stay in shape. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, but it's, you know, guys like Ryan Kidd there yeah. that's took this, you know, James Braddock, the Cinderella man. Yeah. Boxing history is littered with Cinderella men. Absolutely. Man. Well, we saw, a, we saw the modern day equivalent of that today. So just to set the scene for people listening, they'll have, they'll have realised, I think, where we are in, in, in the chronology. But we're the day before the golden contract fights at, at, at Bethnal Green at York Hall, uh, which is Friday, October the fourth uh, and the Mexican fighter uh, Carlos Araujo couldn't make the weight so Ryan's fighter Razak Najib gets the late call and he stepped in and this is his chance you were going to be fighting Jacob Robinson who is trained by his dad who is Steve, Steve Robinson, Robinson who yeah. is the best ever mm. example of this from recent years because he took a fight for the WBO featherweight title at what 48 hours notice he was yeah. working in Debenham's store and went up to the northeast against John Davison yeah, remember that, uh, yeah. and won the fight yeah, and he went on to have a really really good reign six or seven defences yeah, and then us. lost to your gym yeah, so yeah. things have come full circle here with, yeah. the, with the whole discussion but you're so right because it is you put that working and, and you never know when it will be rewarded you have to be ready but you've got to be ready it's, if you're a boxer if you're a boxer it's your job to be ready you know because when the opportunities and they don't come that often in boxing they really really don't some some might say Razak Razak well look he got the he isn't he's, he deserves it because he's in the gym all the time he's a, he's a grafter you know 
he, he put, he's on that road running every day. He's in that gym training. He'll spar absolutely anybody. So that kid deserves it. Razak deserves it. And there's many a fighters out there what are in that gym and they're training hard and, and, and they, they do deserve it. And it will happen. It will happen. You just got to, you know, bide your time and that phone call will happen. So just to go back to the, to the Ingle gym then, when you were talking about putting on these shows, it, it struck me really that, that what you're wanting to give these fighters as well as opportunities is, is, is the chance to feel like they're part of something. Yeah. Like they've got a kind of home venue and they're part of a, of a bigger movement, a bigger kind of mechanism. And that's, that's what being part of a gym is. It's like being in a club. It's like being in, in a gang. Do you, are, you, are you still in touch with your fellow gang members? We see Johnny all the time. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've bumped into Johnny again tonight. I mean, I see Johnny not as much. I mean, Johnny's he, he works. He's up and down, you know, London and and traveling, traveling to the country and everything like that. So, um, Naz, I, I spoke to Naz. Uh, he, Naz obviously lives down London now. So, but I spoke to Naz a few. It was last week because his 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 nephew. Uh, got married and they was all up in Sheffield all the family was in Sheffield and I spoke to him on the phone I didn't manage to bump into him but I spoke to him on the phone um, but I, I saw his brother Ali um, I see Clifton Clifton Mitchell every now and again um, so I, st I still see the guys um, so just not not as much as I'd, I'd like to see everybody it'd be good if I mean we all planned when you know sadly when Brendan passed away and we all went to the funeral and we all bumped into each other. We all said that, you know, maybe once a year if we should organise something and all the old, the gym rats they all called us, we should all turn up to a, to a venue and just have a good night and have a bit of a drink and have a bit of a, a song or a bit of a dance or whatever. But it's not happened yet, but I think that'll be happening in the, in the near future that we all get together again and, you know, reminisce and uh, talk about the good old days. And when you look back at the at the success that the gym the gym achieved, the, the possibilities for, for Nassim just seemed they just seemed boundless at one stage. They never are. They never are. Whatever athlete you are in whatever field you're in. You've probably been asked this a lot, but where do you stand on this kind of debate that has been circling ever since he retired as to whether he achieved his potential no, or No, he underachieved. Massively underachieved. Honestly, I mean nowhere near it. No, he was he, he, what he was I, well under the. He lost his way well before the Barrera fight. Hadn't do you know, they? as soon as he left Brendan, yeah, going down. I don't mind admit. I don't mind admitting this. When he left Brendan, the people around him, they weren't really bothered about Naz as a as a boxer. They just wanted to be rubbing shoulders with him. They just wanted to be associated with him. When Brendan, when Naz was with Brendan, Brendan told Naz what to do, not. Naz told everybody else what to do. It weren't like that. When, Bren when Naz left Brendan, in his fights, he just relied on power, knocking people out. Yeah, he did knock them out, but it was a struggle. Yeah. It weren't easy. The Augie Sanchez fight Augie showed Sanchez. it, didn't it? Just, he was relying on power, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, Augie Sanchez. He got caught a couple, of, he got dropped, he got knocked down himself. He got wobbled numerous times. He lost his way and he lost his boxing ability. Whereas before... It was the boxing first and then the power. When Naz left Brendan, it was the power, just solely, just relied on solely on power. When it came to them, to them splitting, it's, it's strange because you get these kinds of stories and it almost, it's almost kind of Shakespearean in a way because 
people from the outside looking in would be looking at it and just thinking, these two have achieved this amazing success, this young Yemeni and this older Irish fella. It's a great story yeah. and they'll stay together forever and he'll always listen to him. It just seems to be such an obvious kind of cliched thing to do, mm. to stop listening and to start listening to the wrong people. You, people you could, yeah. you could, did you see it coming? Um, I never really expected them to split. But I saw there was there was problems. There was problems. People getting involved and people all of a sudden being involved. When you thought, what you, "Why? Why are you involved? What's what's it got to do with you? Or why? 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 Why are you even here?" All of a sudden, there were it, you could see cracks in 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 the relationship with Brendan. And, but I never thought. I really didn't think they'd split. I really didn't. And it, when it when it happened, and you know, obviously. It were a sad time. It were a sad time. The gym weren't the same for 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 quite some time after when Naz left, um, because that's all it had been. That's all it had been. As all 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 together, we'd always been together. We'd supported each other, and then next minute I'm watching watching Naz on TV, not not being in his corner, not being there. But that's how, that's life, really. It, it, it happens, you know. I mean, we've. Everybody moves on in their life. I mean, you know, everybody gets families, and 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 we all take different paths, and we all we all get different friends, and and things like that's just life anyway. But St- stages of life, isn't it? And they're great eras, and you always look back with fun memories, and you think, oh, I could have st- stayed. Yeah, nothing, nothing lasts forever. Does no, it? no, no. Yeah, but well, it was good while it lasted. Well, it was it was brilliant while it lasted. Yeah. It was brilliant while it lasted, and, and the fact that it kind of ended the way it did between between Asim and, and Brendan. Obviously, it wasn't ideal, but it's happened countless times through boxing history, yeah. or happened countless more times. These things are, are to be are to be expected. I mean, do you think? As you say, the gym is still going really strong. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because yeah. I didn't mean to make it sound no, like no, no, this. Yeah. It's a, a halcyon days long long gone. But do you think that kind of success in an environment like that has boxing in a way almost moved past that that kind of working class inner city heartland where you've got a gym right in the middle of the community that that anybody can walk in through the doors are we Mm. still there are we still in that place as a sport you think or is that just has that time been and gone Um, it's I don't know it depends on it depends on the people in the gym, I think. Like my gym's my gym's an open gym. Anybody can come in my gym. Anybody can train in my gym. It's not a gym where just for professional fighters or, or amateurs. I've got we, we've got we've got around 240, 250 members in my gym, and everybody trains with everybody. And I've only got that method from Brendan. Everybody trained with everybody at the Ingle Gym. No one was bigger than the gym. Whether you were world champion, European, British champion, you got on with everybody. Like I said before, if, if, if anybody was, even the amateurs, me and Naz would be going supporting some of the amateurs, what were, what were just in just normal fights at working men's club. That's how it were. And that's what I've took to my gym. That's what I've, that everybody trains with everybody and, and everybody gets on. Depending on, the person running the gym, and I don't know. I don't think it, I don't think it's always going to be like that. I wouldn't say so anyway. 
So before we let you go, I'll put you on the spot slightly. These, these kinds of questions are always quite hard to answer, to be honest. It's kind of like asking someone what their favourite film is. They want a bit of time to think about it normally. But when you look back on, on, on the Ingle Gym in that period that I mentioned, and, and as I say, I enjoyed it so much because it was, it was mid-late 90s. It was Oasis. It was Blur. It yeah, was Britpop. Yeah. I was 20. I was early 20s. And everything just seemed amazing at that point. And there was the Manchester <laughs> boxing scene. And there was Euro 96 and all of that. And you're right in the middle of this great sporting story. Was there any kind of particular moment where you just thought... Not I've made it, but wow, this is, it, something has happened to me today that I just could never possibly have imagined. I'm doing something that I love and, and life just could not get any better. Uh, it's hard to say that. There were that many good things going on around that time. New York must have been good. New York was amazing, amazing. New York was amazing. I'll tell you what was good as well. Uh, we went to the before I got the Otis Grand fight. We went to the WBO convention in LA. Uh, there were me, Naz, Joe Calzaghe, Carl Thompson, Brendan, Frank Warren. And Frank Warren flew his first class on Virgin, so we all having massages, having a few drinks, and we get to uh, we get to LA. We, we, we goes we went to the convention. We didn't go in the convention. It was Brendan, Frank Warren, but me, Naz. Uh, Joe Calzaghe and Cole Thompson went somewhere else and then we went back to the convention and we was going to an after show party um, so in the after show so as we waiting t- from the hotel to go to the after show party a limousine pulled up and Oscar De Ho- Oscar De La Hoya pulled up got out of the limousine so he says obviously Naz knew Oscar at the time and so we all jumped in Oscar's car. So we're all flying to the uh, to this after party after the convention. And I said to Joe, and Joe Calzaghe was world champion at this time, but Joe was a little bit, Joe was a little bit green. It was as if like he'd not been out of Wales or, I mean, we went, me and Joe went to Ricky, I mean, I remember seeing, seeing Matt there at the Ricky, Ricky Atten box Mayweather. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember much. <laughs> but yeah. But, big but, Joe, but Joe was like, and I'm looking at, saying to Joe, can you believe where we are? And even Joe said to me, unbelievable. And, and he's WBO world champion. I'm trying to get my shot at the WBO convention. Oscar De La Hoya and Naz is at the back of the limo talking to each other. Me and Joe Calzaghe's talking. Cole, Fortune, uh, it's Cole Thompson and uh, Frank Warren's in there. And Brendan's in there. And it would just... A surreal, amazing, a surreal moment thinking wow I've almost made it <laughs> but not quite <laughs> well that's a good note to finish that's a good note to finish Ryan thanks very much for your time this, yeah, has, been, this has been great great fun and, and hopefully it goes well for Razak yeah. tomorrow he's in against Tyron McCullough it's a good tournament the, the golden contract we'll see how it, how it plays out but as you say he stayed ready he stayed professional now he gets his opportunity and by the time this goes out people will know people will know uh, what has happened in that fight so so thanks very much for tuning in again everybody uh, we hope you're continuing to to enjoy these we're always just looking for for new angles and and this is a good example actually because i didn't know you were going to be here today because i wasn't entirely sure who who trained yeah, razak yeah. and i thought well i'll find out today because yeah. he wasn't in the main tournament and then all of a sudden ryan pops up <laughs> and i just say to matt i say he'd be brilliant to get on the podcast yeah, yeah. Uh, and here we are. So here we that, are. That's how we do it. That's yeah, how we like that's to how do we it. roll on Macklin's <laughs> tape. So, 
as I say, thanks for tuning in. And if you find the time to go onto iTunes and give us a rate and subscribe and, and even write us a review if, if you've got the time for that, that'll be great. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Get someone sneaking round a corner. Could that someone be Mac the Knife? There's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know? Where a cement bag just. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.